Readings from John 4, uh, verses 1 through 26. Uh, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus began being weary from his journey and was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. There the Samaritan woman said, said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me the water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Women, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You'll worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Thanks, Neil. Uh, those are cool shorts. I didn't even so I'm, I'm trying to get up on my fashion and everything. Uh, it's hard when you get to be my age. You can't keep up. And tonight I felt really good because I walked in and Josiah said, Bob. That's a nice new shirt. I said, how did you know that was a new shirt? He said, because of the color. He said, I, I would wear that shirt. So I feel really good. Do you like my shirt? I, apparently, it's a, it's a cool shirt. Uh, it's better than uh, last week, because when I was leaving last week, it's got nothing to do with the sermon. I just decided I wanted to say this. Um, last week, I was leaving, and my wife uh, looks at me, and she said, you can't go out that way. I said, what's the matter? She said, you got that big fat belt on and your shirt tucked in. You look like an old man who doesn't know how to dress. <laughs> Thanks, son. I love you too. Um, and you look old. No, you know what? I didn't say that. This is just a lesson for you guys. They can say that you can't. Okay? So uh, in relationships, just don't even try. Um, at any rate, I feel better tonight because Josiah told me to like my shirt. So I'm, I'm feeling much better about uh, the whole evening. 
This passage is an incredible passage. As Neil was reading it, I was thinking to myself, man, there's so many things in there I want to talk about. Uh, there, there's so many details in the passage that help you understand the passage better. And I'm not going to get to all of them, but I might get to some of them I hadn't planned on getting to. Because to understand the Bible is to understand the Bible with depth. And the further you go and the more you know about the text, the more exciting it becomes and the more meaningful it becomes. So I just encourage you, study the Bible. Study the Bible. Keep studying the Bible. And get sources on the Bible that help you to understand it better, and it will come to life. So here we go on this particular passage. Did you notice that all relationships uh, begin with questions? You notice that? Whenever you guys um, are meeting somebody for the first time, one of the first things you do is you start asking questions. Where'd you come from? What's your background like? Um, sometimes we have icebreakers when we get together as people and we say something like, you know, what's your favorite dessert? And it says something about you. If you're on an airplane, the first thing people want to know when they introduce themselves to you, if they decide they want to talk, they ask you what you do. Then they ask you something about your family. Questions always open up relationships. Relationships always begin with questions. And this situation in the Gospels is really no different. But what's interesting about this situation in the Gospels and questions in this context is the questions are a little bit like a fighter. Now, I know it seems out of context from this very subdued passage. Or a little bit like a fighter who punches at the beginning of the fight just to see what the other guy's moves are. Did, do any of you besides me and Dan like MMA, right? Mixed martial arts, UFC, stuff like that, where they really pound each other. I do. I actually like it. because Not because I just like to see people get beat up, but because I begin to realize how much strategy is involved in a fight. Uh, the other reason I like it is because my son does some MMA stuff, too, and I went to one of his fights in California, and that was fun to watch. A little bit gut-wrenching to watch your son out there in an MMA fight, but it was fun. Point is, whenever a fighter, whether it's a boxer or an MMA fighter, starts out, notice nobody goes for the kill early on. They just dance around and they poke at each other. Now sometimes they might go for the kill, but especially in boxing, they dance around, try to get their rhythm, they're watching the other person. That's the way it is in relationships a lot of times too, especially when you come upon a stranger. So when Jesus comes upon this Samaritan woman, and this Samaritan woman encounters Jesus, I see that at work. I see Jesus kind of poking around with a question, and more than that, she poking around with a question. Who are you? What are you about? I got a question for you. Relationships often start with questions. I want you to notice what happens in this passage. In verses 7 through 9, this, Jew, this Samaritan woman encounters a Jewish stranger. So she pokes around and questions and figures out who he is. Listen to the words again. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Jesus starts with the first question. The woman doesn't say anything to him. Will you give me a drink? His disciples have gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, I'm going to expand her answer. I know who you are. I mean, I don't know everything about you, but I know who you are. You're a Jew. Something else is pretty obvious about you that I know about. 
You're a man. And I'm a woman. She put it like this. The Samaritan woman said, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And in parenthesis, the text says, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The woman looks at Jesus and says, You know, I was just coming here to draw water. It's just a regular, ordinary day, and you've interrupted my life. And I'm really suspicious of you. First of all, I'm alone, and I'm vulnerable, and you're a Jewish man. Second of all, you're breaking every protocol that I know about concerning what our relationship ought to be about. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't even drink from the cup that I drink from. Because I'm a Samaritan dog in your eyes. I know you, even though I don't know you altogether. Something else I know about you, I'm inferior to you. You're a Jew, you're culturally superior in this region, and you're a man, which makes you, in terms of your gender, superior to me. And we're standing here alone. Just a little bit about what a Samaritan was. You might know, in the history of Israel, um, there was a period of time where the prophets told the people of Israel, if you continue to follow idols and don't follow God, God's going to turn you over to your enemies. Right? And over a series of years, and it took a long time, the enemies of the people of Israel began to oppress them. But before it was all over, they were taken into Assyrian captivity, right? The huge nation of Assyria comes from the north and the east down the Fertile Crescent and just takes over Israel. Takes most of the people off into captivity, but it leaves behind some. Let's just say, out of a church our size, you are the number that are left behind. And everybody else is gone. And you, the number that are left behind, you're trying to make a way in the world. So what do you do? You start getting married. You start living in the culture where you are. And actually, before long, you're marrying the Assyrians. And you're a Jew. So Assyrian blood and Jewish blood is mixed together, thus a Samaritan, a despised one. That's about what we know about Samaritans. We know they were despised people by the Jews. And we know that rules were different for them as it related to the Jews. I, I grew up in the South, um, not in Alabama South, but in South Florida, which is war, Yankee South, and real Southern. But I grew up in the South in the 60s. I don't need to remind you, right, based on your history books, what was going on in the 60s. So when I was a kid, not in my town, because it was, well, had a lot of northern influence, but as I went north, ironically, in my state, which became more southern, on a trip, any number of times when I stopped, I could see a drinking fountain said, for whites only. Yeah, I mean, that was in my lifetime. This is the kind of thing this Samaritan was experiencing with Jesus. She said, well, what are you even talking to me for? And furthermore, I know you would never drink from my cup. And you're asking me to get some water for you? Her day had been um, really interrupted in a big way um, through a series of questions between he and her. So for a moment, you know what she sees? 
in this experience? She sees a friendly Jewish stranger. That's extraordinary enough. A Jew who would talk to her, a man who would talk to her when she was alone, a Jewish man who would talk to her when she was alone, a Jewish man who would drop his guard of so-called dignity and say, will you give me a drink? That was a condescending statement. That was an elevating statement. So first she sees this thirsty Jewish stranger and he's friendly. Notice what she sees next. Beginning in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, namely me. And he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw from. And the well is deep. Right? The well doesn't have water up at the top of it. The well is way down at the bottom. you got to have a bucket. He's got nothing. Are you greater, she said, than our father Abraham, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks? And Jesus answered her. Notice the Q&A going on here. Jesus answers Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of well, that it, a spring of water that is welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me some of this water so I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She hears what he's saying and she says, This is fascinating. First of all, you're a thirsty Jewish stranger who's really friendly to me, and I'm intrigued by that. But now I see somebody different. You're suggesting that you have something that nobody else has. You're suggesting that you're greater than our father Jacob. And you're not just talking about water in the ground. You're talking about spiritual water. Who in the world are you? Her mind has to be swirled at this point. Her day started out ordinary, and now it's all turned upside down. Then Jesus asks her a question that really throws her off. He says, go call your husband and then come back. Here, here's what she heard. I'm not going to talk to you anymore until I've got a man here. I'm not going to give you any more respect until you show me you're legitimate. That's what she heard. And she said, oh no. I mean, inside herself. She said to herself, this was going so well. I had this guy I didn't know. He's talking to me at the well. He's really a kind stranger. I think I'm encountering some kind of prophet. This guy's talking about water that's eternal. I'm making progress, and then he asked me about my past. I don't want to talk about my past. She says to him, sir, um, I don't have a husband. And he says, yeah, you're right, I know. You've had five. And the man you're with is not your husband. You've got to know she's completely demoralized at this point. She's on the ground emotionally. She's been called out. She's a woman alone with a man. She's a Samaritan in front of a Jew. And now she's a woman of moral disrepute. It's at that point that she doesn't know what else to do but go to the end game. 
She says, okay, Jewish stranger, we've been talking about some things here, like eternal water and life and well, worship. She goes on, she says, you know what, I, I know that someday there's going to be a time when the Messiah comes. We worship God over there on Mount Gerizim, which was their place of worship for Samaritans. You worship God in Jerusalem. And I know the Messiah is coming, and, and someday he's going to explain all this to me, to all of us. He's going to help me and everybody else to understand where's the proper place to worship and what's the best place to worship. And basically he says, stop. I have something to tell you. The Messiah? Woman, you're looking at him. Man, what that must have been like. Talk about blowing your mind. Woman, I'm him. I started out with you as just a Jewish stranger. You started to think of me as a strange kind of prophet. And now I'm telling you I'm the savior of the world. I think that's an incredible story. You know what's happened? Notice what happened with her. She was puzzled by the Jewish stranger. She actually challenged the person she thought was a prophet with some questions that were kind of answer this. And then when she sees the Messiah, she's absolutely bowled over. You know why? Because the rest of the passage that we didn't read goes like this. When she realized he was the Messiah, she left and went back to her people. And she said, you've got to come back with me. I met a man who knows everything. I think it must have found the Messiah. Let me put it differently. I went to the well today. I just wanted some water. I ran into a Jewish stranger and I was afraid. He called me out and told me who I was. And then he loved me. I think I found the Messiah. Is that an incredible story or what? When she tells the people about Jesus, they come back to see him and to talk to him. And he talks about who he is. And many of them, many of them believe. And then they turn to her and they say, we believe now not just because of what you said, but because of what he said. We actually encountered the Christ. We now believe. And they went back and we don't see it in the text, but they told everybody. Got the good news spread. I just think it's an incredible story. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. Why? Because, see, what happens is God, in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, encounters someone who's way outside the social circle. And he steps right into her life. And very, very gradually, and very, very gently, he reveals himself to her. He uncovers his messianic being. Starts with discovery, moves to revelation, and then it ends with receptivity. 
The last part's hers. She discovers, she understands the revelation, and now she has a choice on her hands. She can receive him or not. And she does. I guess there's just uh, two things, two major things I want to say about the text. The first one is this. Jesus continually <coughs> reveals himself patiently to us in stages. Have you ever noticed that? If you haven't, open up your eyes and your ears and watch it happen. Jesus never comes on too strong. He always just gives you a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, just enough so you can follow. Sometimes he blows your mind. Sometimes he challenges you in ways that thinks it's gonna, you think it's going to stretch your, your life to the breaking point. But even then, it's gentle. It's never harsh. He takes you step by step to a deeper understanding concerning who he is. Here's the second point. If Jesus deals with you that way, isn't it important for you to deal with others that way? I mean, not only just in friendships, but as it relates to this big word that sometimes is overwhelming called evangelism. See, sometimes we put evangelism in a box. We decide that evangelism is supposed to be done a particular kind of way. And here, Jesus basically illustrates that evangelism is done through questions. Step by step. Not with ready-made answers, but really finding out who the person is. Really entering their life and coming alongside them and asking them questions about themselves so they first uncover themselves so he can uncover himself. I think, guys, that's a wonderful picture of evangelism. And really, it's a non-threatening picture of evangelism for a lot of you. Because a lot of you think, I don't know how to share Jesus. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You just ask questions. You enter people's lives. And you watch for the opportunities just to say something about Jesus. Don't rush to try to close the deal. Don't think when you walk away and they haven't prayed the sinner's prayer that you failed. You've done everything right. You've asked a question. You've introduced Jesus. Take it one step at a time. Jesus did. Don't be pressured. Don't think there's only one way to do it. Share through questions. And ultimately, share through your life. Because your life is certainly a greater testimony than your words. Because all of us know words are cheap. Talk is cheap. But our life is real. So live your life with people. Enter into their life and ask questions. Allow the questions to point to Jesus. And then, here's the best part of it all. Let God do the rest. Turn over to Jesus. Pray for him. And let God do the rest. Why? Because probably somebody did that for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you've uh, given us all kinds of examples in your word of how to follow you. Even examples uh, that we can see in your word about how to share you with the world. And at least tonight when we look at this passage, we think that we have discovered um, a way that we can approach people and share the gospel. And I thank you, Lord, that it's not high pressure. Um, 
so grateful that in order to share the gospel, I don't have to be a great salesman. I never was good at that. Even when I believed in something, it was hard, but Lord, you give us the opportunity just to enter into people's lives and ask questions. And uh, it reflects how you work with us. You do the same with us. You just prod us and take us the next step with intriguing, fascinating, life-revealing questions uh, through your work in community with others, which is a powerful way to learn. And you take us step-by-step, closer and closer to the truth uh, of, your, of your love for us. So we pray you'll um, allow us to learn how to do that well and give us the heart to do it so that we can share Jesus with others and they can come to know the same good news that we have inherited by grace through faith. In Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I think we do have to share that. If you, have any more, if you have any more questions, please feel free to text them in. So, Bob, what does Jesus reaching out to the Samaritan woman say about God's love, care, and mercy for people of other religions? I can't imagine that Jesus loves people of other religions less than he loves people of our religion. Why? Because Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. That's the bottom line. So Jesus loves all of humanity that God created, and his life is seeking to save those who are lost. Now, does that mean that we don't have a special relationship with Jesus? No, of course not. Um, does it mean that we're not particularly special to Jesus? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean, it seems to me, that he loves everyone enough to reach out to them no matter where they are or what religion they're a part of. I don't know if that's the answer to the question. It's what came up. I don't think that saying Jesus loves people of other religions uh, should be scary for us at all. It's not saying that he loves them and wants them to stay in, uh, in, in the midst of the lies that they believe or the misperception. I think you see that in the story of the woman at the well, too. You know, he, he steps into that situation, and through the dialogue, he's beginning to uh, expose some of her misunderstandings. It's not that mountain, it's not here, it's spirit and truth. That's what's important in worship. And I think that's kind of a, an important model for us to follow, too. God loves, as Bob said, God loves people no matter what religion they're at, but he doesn't want people to stay in the midst and, and believe lies. And so he's, through us, I think, in uh, helping people come to understand truth. Yeah, you know, one other thing about other religions and, and sharing uh, Jesus, um, I, I am not an expert at this, but I, I know friends of mine who are an expert at this, uh, sharing with people of other religions, whether the Muslim faith or Hindu or any number of other things. And you know what they do? They're masters at it. What they do is they listen to the gospel story and the story of the other religions. Because if, if truth is out there, it's out there. Okay? So if the gospel is out there, it's even out there in places that are unexpected. So the storyline of the gospel, even though it's sort of broken and interrupted and not connected, you can see it in other places and in other religions. And uh, one, one of the people you know as well that does that incredibly well is a guy uh, called, his name is Bud Van Est. He's been working with the Navigator for 
hundred years. I mean, he, he's, a, he's an old guy, and he still keeps doing this with people of other religions. He's master at it. If you want to read anything about that kind of approach, I would recommend Francis Schaeffer. Mm -hmm. He was excellent at saying, hey, here's where we agree, and I can follow you in your, your thoughts, I can follow you in your beliefs until we get here. And here's where we go, you know, we diverge. And uh, it was really good at, at doing that with people. And, and hearing the gospel in, in other religions and in their story, and saying, we can affirm this, we believe this together, and here's why I push on you. Yeah, can we, can we ask you one more thing about that? Notice in that story, right, with the Samaritan woman, notice what Jesus did when she said something about worship. He affirmed the worship of God. It's the first thing he did. And then he said, let me help you understand what worship is really like, right? There's going to come a time where we're going to worship in spirit and truth and it won't be there or there. It will be universal. So he, he uses that opportunity. Can I, can I ask for a little, can I ask for a little clarity? Um, do you mind if I steal your mic? Just uh, on this concept of being able to enter into the story of another religion and help them to understand the gospel. Uh, can you give an example of how one might be able to do that? Uh, I don't. I hate to put you on the spot like that, but I think that uh, it's important to recognize that Christ is exclusive in his cl claims of what man needs in order to be right with God, and the Christian faith is certainly different from um, the other religions' ways of relating to God. And so how do we look at their story, but do that in such a way that points to Christ? Yeah, it's actually, I'm working with my son right now. He's doing a project on Hinduism. And one of the things that we've been, he's supposed to do for this project is discover some of the similarities between Hinduism and his religion, Christianity, and then the differences. And so we sat down just this afternoon and we're talking about where are some of the points of similarity. And one of the points is that there is human need and a need of even salvation. You know, in Hinduism, the idea of salvation, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, is moksha. You know, this idea of, of release and liberation from what entangles us, what binds us. Well, that's very similar. Uh, it's a good starting point, I would say, in sharing the gospel. Yes, humans have a need. Yes, we need salvation. Our understanding of what the human need, what the human condition is, is different. But that there is need of salvation, <coughs> I think, is a fantastic starting point. I know from uh, talking to Bud Van Est, uh, he, he works with Muslim people and has lived in the Middle East for years before he came back here and works with students on campus. Um, he, he told me one time that um, the Muslims have certain religious holidays where they actually have sacrifices, right? It still happens today. And, uh, and he said, it's an opportunity for me to enter into that conversation because, and I, I don't know enough about it, but he says, when I ask them, what's it all about? From their vantage point, they can't really tell it. They just do it. It's just a tradition. And you know what? It gives them an opportunity to, to say, well, I think maybe I know where that tradition comes from. Because originally, we share that early revelation in Genesis, both religions. And we share Abraham as the father of our faith. And I think maybe it started back here. In my faith, when I think about Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac, it points me to Jesus. Thanks a lot. That's very helpful. Uh, any more questions? Our pizza's not being delivered for 13 more minutes. You guys better come up with some more questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, why doesn't the band come on?
worship.